Well, I'm, I'm excited to, to, to be here. For those of you who are new to Mosaic, my name is Barnabas. I'm one of the pastors here. Last week, Pastor Morgan got a chance to kick off the series, as you see on the screen, Practically Spiritual. And his message was about a life of Mosaic vision, where he gave some biblical and practical guidelines on how to live out our faith and vision that God has for us. Pastor Morgan, a few weeks ago, asked me to speak today on the topic of a, of a life of faith. And so the hope is that maybe my personal story and just a little bit of my background and the, the things I've seen in this life maybe will be helpful in service well this, this morning. And so uh, without much delay, let us, let us pray. Father, I just thank you so much for every single person in this room. I pray, God, that you would move me out of the, the way and let your, your spirit lead and communicate what your heart is this morning. Father, we thank you that you are the only one that can bring all of us together. You're the only one that has the, the power to touch our lives, to give us the, the courage to, to live for you in a dying world and be sources of life. So I pray that today hearts would be transformed for your glory. I pray that your word would not return void, but it would accomplish what it's set forth to do. In Jesus' name, amen. As I was sitting in the airport on the 4th of July, getting ready to board a flight, I was praying and preparing for the day. I felt the word fire drop in my spirit. The interesting thing is, is that fire naturally occurs when, when three elements are present and mixed properly. Those elements are fuel, oxygen, and heat. So fire is actually more of an event than a thing. And the interesting thing is that it can be prevented or it can be extinguished. I mean, if you get the right kind of blanket, you could smother it out, take away the oxygen. Or if you pour water on it, water actually will take away the, the, the heat from the fire faster than the fire can actually produce it. Or if you, you're like me, we have a gas stove at home. That's what my wife and I prefer. If you were to turn the gas off, it removes the, the fuel and the source is no longer there. No fuel, no fire. You're probably wondering, what does this have to do with us? What does it have to do with faith? You know, I kind of ask God the same thing. What I sense the Lord speaking to us is that our faith is not much different from fire. And at some point in our lives, the right elements must come together to ignite a flame in our souls to follow after Jesus. So this brings me to the title of today's message, Fire, How Does Your Faith Burn? There's four things I'd like to share with us today in, in the time that we have. So much more I'd like to share Igniting the fire, fueling the flame, filling the burn, and lighting the world. Let's start with igniting the fire. I, I wasn't necessarily raised what I would describe a, a Christian home. My mother, uh, both my parents actually grew up in church. My, my mom's dad was a pastor, and even my, my father uh, was ordained a minister before I was born. We were taught to pray before we went to sleep. I vaguely remember Bible stories before bedtime. But beyond this, I never learned what it meant to live and love Jesus. Fast forward to after graduating from, from high school, and I decided to attend UT along with my, my older brother or our middle brother. And, and one of the first things my brother uh, and I did was went to go sign up for a gym membership at Bally Total Fitness. Some of y'all remember that. That's old school, right? It's like the first gym ever created. I think Rocky worked out there. You know, and... I don't even think those things are still around. It's crazy. 
So my brother and I, obviously wanting to you know, stay sexy during the summer months, uh, <laughs> went to, to sign up. And when we arrived, this older African-American gentleman took it upon himself to tell us about God. You know, I don't really remember everything that he said. All I do remember is I was very annoyed. <laughs> I'm like, when will this dude shut up? I just want to know where the bench press and treadmill is. <laughs> As you probably guessed, I did not get saved that day. <laughs> <laughs> So about a year and a half later, I'm a sophomore in college, and one of my good friends, many of you know him, he was actually just on stage, ironically, uh, Gerald Bowie, we're playing pool in my dorm, and he begins to tell me about his commitment to God. He wanted change in in his life, and he realized and recognized that God was the only one to bring about the change he desired. Of course, me being the supportive friend that I am, I told him, that's great. Good for you. I'm going to the club and get my party on. I was a hot mess, y'all. Thank God for prayer. Thank God for prayer. Gerald being the awesome friend that he is and persistent, continued to invite me out to to, to Bible study and uh, at some point introduced me to a young man who was a missionary on the campus at the time whose name was Tennyson. Pastor Morgan actually was a missionary as well and was leading the, the, the team of missionaries as the campus director. And so Tennyson asked me if I would like to get together. You know, I didn't realize that that, what that meant at that point. Um, but because he knew my boy, why not, right? Uh, if you, he's cool, I'm cooler. And so over the next few weeks, he began to share the gospel with me. But this time it was different. My heart was pierced by the Holy Spirit. I had a girlfriend at the time at a different school, and we were not being holy. But after having these conversations and hearing about the God of the universe who wanted to come and know me, something changed. So much so that in November of 2000, I surrendered my life to Jesus. It was at this point that the fire of faith was ignited in my heart. Scripture tells us in Hebrews chapter 11, it says, And without faith, it is impossible to please him. For whoever would draw near to God, must believe that he exists and that he rewards those who seek him. I know it may sound cliche, but you know, if I had known what God had to offer, if I had known what the experience of knowing him and living with him and having him invade my world in the most beautiful way possible, a year and a half earlier, I would have jumped at the chance to come and know him. If I had known the experience of joy and satisfaction that would come, I, wasn't, I wouldn't have hesitated. I remember what it was like without him. I definitely don't want to go back. There's a Catholic priest and influential theologian by the name of Thomas Aquinas. He was a theologian in the 13th century. He had an interesting thought as it relates to faith, and this is what he said. He says, the one who has faith, no explanation is necessary. To one without faith, no explanation is possible. Now, I don't want us to misconstrue what my brother in the faith was trying to convey. He wasn't trying to oversimplify faith. Either you believe or you don't. Just shut up and believe. It's definitely not what he wanted to communicate. He was a philosopher, a man of great education and deep thought. What's important to know is that there's virtually nothing in this world that is 100% sure. Every day we exercise our faith to a great extent. We consult our doctors without seeing their licenses. We jump in our cars without checking the engines. We often make 100% commitments with less than 100% proof. 
we fly on airplanes. And, and even though we cannot 100% guarantee that we'll have our safe arrival, we make 100% commitment to walk on that plane. It's interesting. So really the question that we have to ask is not, is there, is, is there enough evidence to warrant 100% of commitment to Jesus? Is there enough, even though it may not be 100% for you, even though all of your questions may not get answered, is there enough to allow you to invite him into your heart? See, Christianity is not about checking your brain at the door, but it does not mean that our intellect leads us or rules us either. See, everything, including our minds, must be subject to the cross, which brings us to the next point, fueling the flame. As I mentioned about fires, we, we can put some out pretty easily. Even in our, our church, we have access to, to water and, and fire extinguishers where if the fire were to come, we could probably put it out fairly easily. But not all fires can be put out. Sometimes fires can get so big so quickly that it's impossible to extinguish them. Would you believe me if I told you that there's a small town in Pennsylvania that has been on fire for over 50 years? It's true. The town is Centralia, Pennsylvania. And an underground fire burning coal seems underlying the town has been there since 1962. And it still burns to this very day. If you go to certain areas of the town, you will find areas where smoke just seams up from the ground. These areas, if you were to touch the ground, you would feel its warmth. I believe we have a photo of you to get a picture of it. See, Centralia sits atop a vast network of underground coal mines. Back in 1962, the town decided to set the local landfills on fire so that a bunch of the trash would burn and reduce the amount that was taking up space in the landfill. Although that they had thought that they extinguished the fire, the landfill fields were continuing to burn. It kept burning deep below the surface and the trash where, where no one could even see it. The fire burned downwardly and eventually went underground. It was met with a great source of fuel. The leftover mine shafts, which still opened up to veins of what we call anthracite coal. See, anthracite coal, coal is, is known for burning for long periods of time and extremely hot temperatures. See, experts believe that, that the fires can reach as high as over 500 degrees Fahrenheit and go as low and deep as over 300 feet. And even though 50 years may seem like a very long time, it is believed that the fires of Centralia will burn for another 250 years. So I, why do they just put it out, right? Maybe that's the question that we ask. The truth is, is they couldn't. They tried. Multiple different fire fighting methods. But there's nothing they could do. So why I share this story, what does this have to do with us? We must accept the reality that there exists a, an enemy who desires to put out the flame of God inside of our hearts today. To extinguish that which he put to, to be kindled inside of us. He'll try every single method from deceit to malice to lies to try to get that fire to go out. See, I believe that God desires to ignite a fire so deep with inside of us, fueled with the anthracite coal of his presence. I believe that when the enemy comes to, to pour out or put out our fire with fear, pain, and disbelief, 
that God's spirit would keep it burning. It says this in Hebrews chapter 10, starting in verse 19. It says, therefore, brothers, since we have confidence to enter the holy places by the blood of Jesus, by the new and living way that he opened for us through the curtain, that which is his flesh, in which we have a great priest over the house of God, let us draw near with a truth heart, true heart and full assurance of faith, with our hearts sprinkled clean from an evil conscience of our bodies washed with pure water. Let us hold fast to the confession of our hope without wavering. For he who promised is faithful. And let us consider how to stir up one another. Say stir up one another. To love and good works, not neglecting to meet together. As is the habit of some, but encouraging one another. And all the more you see the day drawing near. By God's grace, we are an overcoming church. We can ensure that the, the fire of confidence in Christ will continue to burn for generations to come. Shame on us if we don't pass the torch of faith to our sons and our daughters. If we don't allow them to see our lives burn with the flames of God's presence. As much as I want to stress the importance of faith today, I'd be remiss if I didn't address the immense amount of difficulty it is in walking it out. Which brings me to my next point, feeling the burn. Just to give you a little background, I'm the youngest of three sons. My oldest brother is 13 years older than I am because of a series of bad decisions running the streets in and out of prison. My other brother is a year and five days older than me. Before he was born, the doctor told my parents that he would be mentally challenged. They even suggested abortion as a viable option. Fortunately, my parents ignored the advice. 18 years later, he graduated valedictorian of his class. He went on to complete his degree in management information systems from the University of Texas at Austin and his MBA from the University of Dallas. He currently works for one of the top railroad companies in North America. I don't say this to brag about my family's accomplishments, but instead to brag about how good God is. As I mentioned before, my father was at some point felt the call to ministry in his life. I remember that he occasionally would get the opportunity to speak. As a kid, we had cassette tape player in our home, and I remember hearing one of his messages. He spoke with such passion and excitement for God's word. In his prime, my dad was strong, charismatic, quite the charmer. In the beginning of my parents' marriage, he worked at a steel company in a car wash. He and my mom bought their first home for $7,200 back in 1968. I'm so mad at the economy right now. (laughs) My mother lives there to this day. Life was good, real good. In 1977, my father was diagnosed with cancer at the age of 29. It almost took his life. But by God's grace, he survived. He soon realized that things would never be the same. He later found out that he had diabetes. I remember him having to prick his finger every day to monitor his glucose levels. A few years later, the doctors told my father that he had congestive heart failure. In 2005, he had an operation and inserted a defibrillator to help regulate his heart. On top of this, he battled mental illness for as far back as I can remember. My dad's condition didn't allow him to work, and he spent the rest of his life on disability. As you can imagine, it created quite a hardship for our family. 
I didn't grow up in the best of neighborhoods. In fact, I was three doors down from a drug house. Gang violence was the norm. It wasn't uncommon for me to hear gunshots or see prostitutes walking down the street. Left with no alternative, my mom had to go back to work in order to help our family. She was in retail for over 20 years, which meant long hours, working holidays, and less time with her family. This wasn't quite the life my dad imagined. Those who once believed in him and his calling and invited him to preach in their pulpits and now turned their backs on him. Feeling helpless and abandoned. Family forgetting he even was alive. I watched as faith withered away. My dad didn't set foot in the church for over two decades. There was a point when the fire in my father's heart burned brightly. He told me stories of how he saw Jesus in a vision. And as I heard him speak, it was both terrifying and amazing at the same time. He knew God had a call in his life to do ministry, but the enemy made one too many attempts on his life and his purpose. So eventually, it put out his flame. Disease, betrayal, abandonment. These things may not have completely destroyed his body, but it killed his spirit. In the same way I sensed the enemy attempting to put out the fire in this nation. Many of you, as we mentioned earlier, are aware of the events that happened over the past few days in Baton Rouge, Louisiana, Falcon Heights, Minnesota, and Dallas, Texas. Tragically, lives were lost. This this country is continuing to grieve. Two nights ago, I was up late packing. My my family, we just moved into a a home not far from here. (laughs) There's still things everywhere. It's not uncommon for me to to make a late-night trip to Walmart or a nearby gas station to get an energy drink or maybe a snack to keep me going. My wife and my daughter upstairs sound asleep. I go upstairs, and as I'm about to throw on a T-shirt, and grabbed my shoes for the very first time, a thought occurred to me. What if during my commute I get pulled over tonight? What if despite my efforts to comply, lack of criminal record, valid driver's license and insurance, what if I'm seen as a threat? What if like John Crawford, a young man killed two years ago, I get intrigued by a BB gun on one of the store aisles? And what begins is reliving my childhood, ends in my life being taken away. What if my wife and I never see our six-year anniversary? What if my daughter grows up without a father? Some of you may dismiss it as a unwarranted fear, lack of faith, but I would urge us to see it as a painful reality. Yolanda has a very good friend in California. They went to college together. Thank you. She was one of the bridesmaids in our weddings, and she's like a sister to my wife. Yolanda even did the videography for the wedding a few few, uh, years back. She's Hispanic, and her husband happens to be white. He actually happens also to work for the police department in California. They're pregnant with their first child, due in a couple weeks. He's a good man. I can't help but wonder if one day while patrolling the streets, 
or just doing a routine traffic stop. Someone whose heart is filled with rage decides to take justice in their own hands. What if she becomes a widow and her child never meets their father? When our fire is fueled by the lack of regard of life, hatred and vengeance, no good can come of it. When we look at events like the ones we've seen over the past few days, we may see solely an attack on a specific people group or race, but it's much bigger than that. See, the enemy knows that the kingdom divided can't stand. And he knows that when we come together, that the earth will shake and God's kingdom will advance. He knows that God is calling all people of all nations to come together, exalting his name and giving him glory. And the enemy hates it. And he will do everything in his power to stop it. I'm reminded of a scripture in Galatians 2, verse 20. It says, I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ who live in me. And the life I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. So what does faith look like, church? Is faith a father and mother allowing suffering to prevent them from discipling their children? Is faith letting our pain cause us to inadvertently teach our sons and daughters to hate people that look different from them? Will the wrongs done to us and those we care about fuel a fire that causes harm to those around us? the people were called to love instead receive third degree burns from our wounds and rage the answer is no church this is not our destiny which brings me to my last point lighting the world see we are not a people that are called to walk in darkness we are people who are called to refuse to be blind to horrific injustice in our communities and refuse to be driven by vengeance and hate We are a people motivated not by the bloodshed of our brothers and sisters, our sons and our daughters, but by the bloodshed of our Lord and Savior Jesus. So we will mourn with those who mourn. We will fight peacefully, not only in protest without gunfire, but on our knees. We will be angry and not sin. Scripture tells us in Matthew 5, 14 through 16, you are the light of the world. A city set on a hill cannot be hidden, nor do people light a lamp and put it under a basket, but on a stand and give light to all in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before others so that they may see your good works and give glory to your Father who is in heaven. The fire that God ignites in our hearts today is not just for us. It's not just for our families. His purpose is not just simply to maintain us and protect us. The fire has an ultimate goal of shedding a light, God's light, across the world. So how do we do this, church? What does this mean for us? Pastor Morgan alluded to it earlier today, and it's painted more clearly in John chapter 4, 7 through 12. It says, Behold, Let us love one another, for love is from God, and whoever loves has been born of God and knows God. Anyone who does not love does not know God, because God is love. 
In this, the love of God was made manifest among us. God sent his only son in the world so that we might live through him. In this love. Not that we have loved God, but he loved us and sent his son to be the propitiation for our sins. Beloved, if God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. So no one has ever seen God. If we love one another, God abides in us and his love is perfected in us. Two days ago, I sat in a room with some of you that are sitting here right now. Together, all of us, black, white, and brown, came together and prayed for our nation. We wept together. We repented and grieved together. Prayed together. We saw each other's pain and cried for God's healing. This is a kind of unity centered on Jesus that the enemy cannot prevail against. Our united flame, fueled by God's love and his presence, will burn bright for the entire world to see. My hope is that this church will not allow the enemy to extinguish that flame of God's presence in our midst. That we will not become paralyzed by our pain, but instead allow God to minister through us, through our healing. This is why we preach the gospel. This is why we have multicultural church. This is why hearts need to be changed and cultural lines need to be crossed. This is why we have to love. 